So with that said, we're continuing our series called What a Beautiful Name. We are uh, been looking at the Gospel of Mark, looking at the ministry of Jesus, and looking at it very closely because if we are followers of Jesus, what that means is we're supposed to do what Jesus did. We're supposed to teach how Jesus taught. We should be loving the people that Jesus loved. We should look like Jesus. It's easy to say I'm a follower of Jesus, but does our life reflect that? That's why our mission here as a church is to lead people in knowing, living, and sharing Jesus. We don't just want you to know about Jesus, but we want you to have a transformed life that will change how you live and how you live your life for Jesus will directly impact how you share your faith with the world, how God will use you to reach other people who are far from him. So we've been looking at the ministry of Jesus and seeing how you and I can overcome different things in life that the world would throw at us how we could overcome temptation, how we could overcome the forces of darkness, how we could overcome busyness. And there's so many different ways that we look to Jesus as our example, as our Lord, as our Savior, and he's the one who equips us to overcome. Today we're going to talk about a fun topic. They're always fun when we pull these topics out of the Bible. But today I want to talk about storms. And how many of you, maybe just show of hands, you have been in a horrible, horrible storm, whether that's like a rainstorm, whether that's a snowstorm, show of hands, just up high, I want to see how many of you like, wow, okay, almost everybody, that's pretty impressive. I remember once when I was eight years old, I was eight years old, my dad was building a a, a dock for my grandparents at their cottage, and we had run out of wood. And so my dad came up with the brilliant idea, since we're up in like northern Quebec, that we'll just jump in the canoe, we'll go further away from where everybody's cottages are, go where there's no cottages, and just chop down a couple of birch trees, and we'll bring those trees back by canoe, okay, and finish building this dock. Now, okay, I don't want to like debate the legality of chopping trees down in in northern Quebec off of other people's properties, but um, there was a storm coming, and we knew the storm was coming. You could see it. You could feel it in the air. The radio at the cottage was saying severe, extreme thunderstorm warnings are in effect, and my dad says, we can make it. So he takes his eight-year-old son, who's a city kid geek, right? I'm a comic book Star Wars nerd. I don't know nothing about canoes. I don't know nothing about water, okay? And, you know, if you've been coming here for a while, you know I'm afraid of water. This is probably reason number one. Why? Because we get into this canoe, we paddle to the far end of the lake. It takes us about two hours to paddle out there. And it takes us another two hours to chop down two birch trees and drag them into the lake, tie them to the back of a canoe, and start making our way back two hours again. And the storm hit. And now when I mean storm, I'm not talking like just rain. I'm talking like torrential, 
downpour, lightning, where you could see it. The whole sky would light up. The sky went from like sunny to midnight black in five minutes. We couldn't see five feet in front of us in these boat, in, in the canoe. And my dad's in the back of the canoe laughing his head off. He's just laughing and thinking this is funny because in the front of the canoe is his eight-year-old who's crying his head off. We're going to die. We're going to never gonna see mom again. And, and, and this is all your fault. I hate you. You suck. And, uh, you're going to kill me. <laughs> and my dad's laughing and laughing and laughing. And at one point we're going and the edge of the canoe is here. The water is here. The water would splash and come over. I'm in the front. I'm drinking the waves as they hit me. And my dad's like, Kevin, I got this. You're going to be okay. And for some reason I believed him. We made it back and we finished building this dock. When you are in a storm, the person you're with will dictate how you respond to the storm. Do you trust the person that you are with when you're in a storm? If you're driving in your car and there's an ice storm and you are freaking out because you know the person who's driving that car is a terrible driver on a summer day, you're not going to be overly trustworthy during an ice storm. Who we walk with, who we're doing life with, the people that we are with when we come into a storm dictates our level of trust. And so that's what I want us to talk about today. I want us to talk about trust. And we're going to look at a very familiar story in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to look at the story of Jesus calming a storm. And I want us to unpack this story, not to focus on the storm, but to focus on the one who is in the boat, the one who is trustworthy. And I want us to look at this text so that you and I can find ways to trust Jesus more. So let's look at this story here in Mark chapter 4. If you have a Bible with you, open up to Mark chapter 4. Start reading in verse 35. Mark records the story like this. He says, That day when evening came, he, being Jesus, said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care that we'll drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. 
This is a familiar story. If you've been in church for any amount of time, if you've been to Sunday school, you would have grown up hearing this story before. It's such a famous story. It's recorded in three out of the four Gospels. It's in Matthew. It's in Mark. It's in Luke. This is uh, Mark has two different miracles, which are known as the nature miracles, where we see Jesus having an authority over nature. This is the first one. The second one is Jesus walking on water. And it becomes so familiar because we hear this story again and again and again, and we think that this is a great story to teach on, well, how will Jesus just get rid of our storms? Right? How many of you have heard a sermon before that this, from this text? Is, Jesus wants to get rid of the storm in your life. Anyone ever heard that before? Jesus wants to get rid of your storm. Here we see Jesus. He's asleep. Disciples are scared. So Jesus shows up, gets rid of the storm. Everybody's happy. But I actually don't believe that's what this text is about. Because if this was a text about Jesus having victory over your storms and everyone being happy at the end of it that the storm is gone, look how the story ends in verse 41. They were terrified. The word here in the Greek for terrified is a greater fear now that the storm is over than the fear that they had when they were in the storm. It's amazing when you study the words like that. This word terrified is a greater fear. The storm is gone. Jesus has dealt with the storm. And they're more afraid now than they were while the storm was raging on. See, these are experienced fishermen. They understand the waves. They understand the storm. They've probably been out in storms before. Now it stinks that they're in it and they know Jesus has got some power and, you know, and he seems to have some kind of authority. Maybe he could do something about it. He's just sleeping. Man, don't you care about us? We've seen you do other miracles. Could you step up and maybe do something here? And then when he does, they're terrified. This isn't a text about dealing with the storms of our lives. This is a text explaining to the readers exactly who Jesus is. That Jesus is not just a good moral teacher. That Jesus is not just some miracle worker who wants to heal a few people, cast out some demons. This is a text that clearly points to to the divinity of Jesus of Nazareth. That's Mark's goal, is to get you to realize who Jesus is. Because if you don't have a firm grasp on who Jesus is, you're going to trust the wrong person when you're in a storm. Ultimately, this isn't a story about the storm. It's a story about Christ and his lordship over everything. That he is fully God. Fully God. He has power over demons. He has power over the sick. He has power over nature and creation itself. He's fully God. And yet at the same time, he's fully man. Asleep comfortably on a cushion, on a bag in a boat. 
as a storm rages on with complete and total trust in his heavenly father. Points to us who Jesus is. We need to take comfort in who Jesus is. Not, I hope my storms in life go away. But we want to look at this text through the lens of who Jesus is. I want to look at three things about this story to help build our trust in Jesus. I want us to build our trust in Jesus today, to trust his lordship, to trust his power, to trust that he is the only one who is trustworthy in this world. So I encourage you to write these three things down, you know, take notes, talk about them with your family or your group or people that you're walking with, because I really want, I really believe this text, Mark wants us to build up our trust in Jesus. So let's look at three things about Jesus here to help build our trust in him. The first point is this. Jesus sends into the storm. Jesus sends into the storm. Right? Verse 35 here kind of explains what's going on. It says, you know, that day when the evening came, what Jesus has been doing all this day is he's been teaching the crowds of people. There were so many people coming to hear Jesus teach and preach about the kingdom of God. So many people on the lake, at the beach, that Jesus had to get into a boat with his followers so that there'd be room for them, so they could back up, so that his voice would carry out. He's in a boat all day long, teaching and preaching. Teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. And the end of the day comes. It's nighttime, it's evening So he says to his disciples, let's go over there. See, I love this picture of Jesus sending them across the lake. Like this wasn't a situation where one of the disciples had a bad idea, that they could see that the storm was coming and the disciples said, oh, I think we can make it. Or this wasn't a sin issue. Right, where somebody sinned and was disobedient to God and they crossed the lake and the storm comes to punish their sin and their disobedience. This is Jesus, fully God, fully man, knowing what's going on, sending them into a storm. See, when I was on that canoe with my dad at the age of eight, It was my dad's idea to go do it. My grandmother didn't guilt trip him into going to do it. My mother didn't have a honeydew list that he better go and finish this list first. You better go and risk your life in this boat. My dad saw the signs. He heard the warnings. He saw the weather. And he chose to go. Not only did he choose to go he chose to bring his eight-year-old kid into the boat maybe nowadays back in the 70s you could do that maybe today now we call a certain organization against fathers like that i don't know in the 70s you were allowed to smack your kids around a little bit we all turned out just fine (laughs) okay you bring the kid in complete confidence in your own abilities that I got this. I can manage it. Jesus sends his disciples into the storm. That, I think, is such an important 
thing to remember about Jesus. I think one of the worst things that Western Christianity has taught is if you come to Jesus, if you would just believe in Jesus, all your problems would be solved. You just need Jesus. Oh, your marriage is going really bad. You just need Jesus. That's going to take care of everything. Oh, you're sick. You just need Jesus, and that will take care of everything. Or you've got financial troubles. You're looking for work. You just need Jesus, and then you'll get a job. The problem with that kind of teaching is not what we see in the ministry of Jesus. Nowhere does Jesus say, believe in me and all your problems will be gone. He never says that. But we as a church, as the Western church, we feel like we need to be kind of the public relations people for Jesus. Because the teaching of Jesus is pick up your cross daily, follow me. Die to yourself. Die to your desires. Die to the things that you are pursuing. Die to this idea that you just have to run your life in order to be happy. Follow me and pursue holiness. Jesus is not interested in our happiness. He is interested in our holiness. And if we pursue holiness, that is life changing. But Jesus will do work in our lives by sending us into storms. I have met so many people, and I'm sure you've met people like this too, people who had storms in their life, major issues in their life, marriage issues, financial issues, issues with their teenagers, and they tried church, and they tried Jesus, and it didn't work. That the problems were still there. And so they walk away. They walk away from the church. They walk away from Jesus because I tried Jesus and I still had these problems. I still have these storms. Because it's not a story about Jesus getting rid of our storms. It's a story about the divinity of Jesus. That he is the only one who is trustworthy even in the storm. This story reminds us of a very important truth that Jesus taught his followers. Jesus said this, In this life, you will have ease and money and all of your desires given to you. He didn't say that. He said, In this life, you will have many troubles. Jesus sends us sometimes into the storm. It's how he works. It's what he does. He sends us into the storm. But here's kind of the beautiful part of this story. The beautiful part of Jesus' teaching when he says, in this life you'll have many troubles. The second point that we need to remember is that Jesus is Lord over the storm. Right? Jesus finishes that statement. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. It's not just the demonic that he has power over. It's not just the sick that he has power over. It's It's not just the dead he has power over. He has power over all of creation itself. 
when the disciples are crying out in the boat, don't you care that we're drowning? Don't you care that we're going to drown? They don't realize who they're talking to. They're talking to the great I am, the creator of heaven and earth. In John's gospel, he starts off talking about how Jesus is the word that, and through the word, in the entire creation was created. It was created for the word and by the word for his glory. That he's completely Lord over the storm. Jesus' response to the fear of the disciples, to the fear of these fishermen in the boat, is three words. Quiet. Be still. These words that Jesus reflects to the storm, to the wind, to the waves, are very similar to the words that Jesus says to the demonic in Mark chapter 1. Very quiet. Get out. That same authority, that same lordship. And here, Jesus is showing himself to have dominion over all of creation. That he's Lord over the storm. Right? The Old Testament teaches us in the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Isaiah that only God himself has power over the seas. Right? The Jewish people would have been very familiar with that teaching from Deuteronomy and Isaiah that only the Lord himself has power over the seas. So when Moses goes before the sea and he puts his staff down in the sea part so that the people of Israel can escape Egypt. The people know this is not Moses. This is not Moses' power. It is only the Lord. When, Deut- when Moses puts down and he puts to word the book of Deuteronomy, he's clear. It wasn't my authority. It was only the Lord who could do this. The prophets teach us as well that only God himself has authority over the seas. Jesus says, quiet, be still, and everything stops. And the response of the disciples is not, yay, the storm is gone. <laughs> Whew, thanks, buddy Jesus. Thanks for taking away my problems. Lord, I praise you, praise you, and sing some songs and have a potluck. no. <laughs> His, their response is terror. And what I actually love about this response is one of the most biblical responses to the divine. When people come face to face with the presence and the glory of God, what is the response? Terror. <laughs> when people come face to face with messengers from God, when the angelic hosts come down, what is the response? Yay, happy, go lucky potluck no fear and trembling i am a man of unclean lips ah get away from me lord terror the disciples are responding biblically to the divine not the way we think things are Jesus just wants to take away your problems. Jesus just wants to take away your problems. Jesus is Lord over your problem. If you have marriage problems, Jesus is Lord over your marriage problems. If you've got a struggle with pornography, Jesus is Lord over that struggle. 
you're dealing with financial problems, Jesus is Lord over that. If you've got a wayward teenager who's breaking your heart, Jesus is Lord over that. Do you trust him with that? Do you trust him with that? I, I talk with people of, of who are from all over the world. It's a real privilege. I love talking with Christians who come you know, not with a Western view uh, of Christianity or a Western view of the Bible. And, and I was talking with one guy, a friend of mine uh, from a Muslim background who, who's now a Christian, and he was sharing with me once on how he just felt Canadian Christians just seem to want to put God in a box. That we just kind of like God like this. We like it when God's comfortable, when he's safe, when we kind of know what we can expect. We've got our traditions, we've got our viewpoints, we have our theology, we study our Bible, we do our programs. But we like it when God's in the box. And he was saying when he was kind of a Muslim and then he had become a Christian, and his family instantly wanted him dead. Where the father put a hit on his life to die. Suddenly, God's not in any box anymore. (laughs) Suddenly, life is crazy and chaotic and dangerous, and God becomes so much greater. See, I think when we put God in a box, we take away his lordship, and we put ourselves back as lord. Well, we're smart enough, we're educated enough, we know how to do church, we know how to do ministry, we know how to run these programs, we know how to pray, we do these things, and we can forget that Jesus is Lord over this. That God is big. God is scary. When God shows up in your life as Lord, as wanting to do something, of maybe even sending you into a storm, is our response, yeah, I trust you, Jesus, let's go. Or is it, eh, I'll pass. I'm okay with comfort. I'm okay with keeping things safe. I'm okay with just what I know. I'll pass on that one. If that's our response, we've got a trust problem. We're not trusting the one who's sending us into the storm. We're not trusting the one who is the Lord over the storm because God is big. God is scary. Mark Buchanan wrote an amazing book. I encourage every Christian to read it. The title of the book is Your God is Too Small. And that's what my Christian former Muslim friend shared with me is that we as Western Canadians, sometimes we just make God way too small. People might think we're a loser. Oh, oh no. (laughs) You realize that's the worst we get in this country? No one's trying to kill us. No one's trying to bomb us. I don't have family members. When I became a Christian, my family didn't disown me and try to kill me. They think I'm weird. You know what? I was weird before I became a Christian, so what's the difference? (laughs) Because I trust that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over the storm. So that's the first thing. Jesus sends us into the storm. Jesus is Lord over the storm. And this is where I love how Jesus works, is that Jesus uses storms to bless others. Jesus uses storms to bless others. 
I love the story that happens right after this. So in Mark chapter 5, I'm not going to read it. You could read it yourself. I'm just going to paraphrase it and walk through a bit what happens here. But here, this story, what happens is Jesus is in the boat. It's Jesus' idea. He gets into the boat. The storm comes. The disciples are freaked out. Jesus calms the storm. They're even more terrified now. Who is this man? We've just witnessed the divine. Oh, my goodness, this is scary. Then he brings them across the lake to a region which is non-Jewish. And Jesus brings them, brings these Jewish men into a cemetery. Now, Jewish people don't hang out in cemeteries. You know why? Because it's unclean. They have all these laws and commandments in the Old Testament. Don't be near dead bodies. Don't touch dead bodies. If you're anywhere near them, you could become unclean. And for a Jewish person, if you became unclean, you couldn't go to church. You couldn't worship in the temple. So they wouldn't hang out in a cemetery. And where does Jesus send them? Into a cemetery. Love Jesus breaking down every religious rule and tradition that we build up as people. Let's go into the cemetery. And what do they find in the cemetery? They find this man who's been, he's possessed by multiple demons. He says his name is Legion, for there are legions of demons inside him. He's so strong. He's so powerful. The people around there have been trying to chain him up. And he breaks out of the chains. And we also see in that region our farmers, But they're farming animals that Jewish people would not farm. They're raising pigs. Another animal in the Old Testament that Jewish people would have considered to be unclean. So they're in a cemetery surrounded by pigs. The last place Jewish people want to be. And it's exactly where Jesus brings them. Why? So that their life could be easy. So that they could be blessed. So that they could get more money or have their problems solved so that they could have a cushy, comfortable life. There's nothing cushy and comfortable about Mark chapter 5. If you're a Jewish man or a Jewish woman, this is the worst place to be. And Jesus brings them there, not for themselves, but to simply bless this one guy. Jesus, in the same authority over the storm, casts out the legion of demons sends them into the pigs the pigs all freak out jump over a cliff that would have been awesome to see i don't know there's certain stories in the bible you just wish you could be there that's one of them for me i don't know maybe i'm twisted and mean but there's just something funny about a whole bunch of pigs freaking out and jumping off a cliff free bacon i don't know um something about it but again their response is exactly the same as the response of the disciples in the boat fear Because they're in the presence of the divine. Fear again. And then the man is healed. And now this man wants to, and Jesus says, okay, we're done here. Let's go back in the boat. Can you imagine being the disciples? Wait a minute. We went through this whole storm. We went through this whole thing just for this non-Jewish guy. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah, that's why we came. Get back in the boat. It's like, okay, Jesus, let's go back in the boat. And the guy who was healed runs after Jesus and says, Jesus, I want to go with you. Jesus says, no, you stay here. And you tell your people about me. Jesus will send you into a storm so that you could be a blessing to someone else. It's how he works. 
It's how he works. It just seems like there's something about the nature of God where it's not our comfort. It's not our ease. It's not our prosperity. It's not all those things that we're so desperate for that draw people to Jesus. It's our pain. It's our hurts. It's our experiences. Knowing that life is not perfect, that we're messed up, we've got sin that we're dealing with, but we're trusting, we're not pursuing happiness, we're pursuing holiness. We are trusting that Jesus is Lord over all of these struggles of life. That is what draws people to Jesus. I get this all the time when I talk to my non-Christian friends, and it's weird. I don't know to take it as a compliment or as an insult. But they look at me and they say, Kev, you're just not like the way I understand Christians. And you're definitely not like how I imagine pastors. Because, again, culturally, we have this holy man mentality. Like that the guy up front, he's the holy man. That he comes before the altar. He hands out communion. He teaches the word of God with this authority. He's supposed to be this holy, perfect man. Ask my wife how perfect I am. I think I'm all right. I'm not bad. It's close. It's close. (laughs) Pretty far. The bar is pretty low. Okay. But when we are the bar, people see that and they go, yeah, hypocrite. But when Jesus is the bar and we're pursuing that holiness, and we see God taking us through storms. The storm doesn't go away, but how we respond to the storm is radically different because of our trust in Jesus. People see that. They're drawn to it. I'm amazed time and time and time again when I meet people who go into ministry or start certain ministries in the church or parachurch ministries to reach out to hurting and broken people. They do that out of their experience as a hurt, broken person. The best people to help men overcome pornography is men who have overcome pornography or women who are struggling with pornography to get women to come alongside them to overcome pornography. People who are struggling financially come along. People who've also struggled financially and learned to be generous and learn to trust God with their finances to mentor people that way. People who are dealing with marriage issues or teenage rebellion, whatever the issue is, or people who are sick and have cancer, any issue we can think of, The best people to minister to those people are people who've been there, who've gone through it. The storm didn't go away, but their eyes were focused on Jesus. So Jesus sends us into the storm. Jesus is Lord over the storm. And Jesus uses storms to bless others. This isn't a text about getting rid of our storms. This is a text to build our trust in Jesus. So how do we build our trust in Jesus? I love how the disciples ended this part here in verse 41, where the the disciples say, who is this? Who is this? Each and every one of you need to be able to answer that question. All of you who are watching online, you need to be able to answer that question. Who is this man? Who is this man who has authority? Over the demons? Who is this man who has authority over sickness? Who is this man who has authority over the storms and the wind? You need to be able to answer that question Who is this? If your answer is, well, he's a good teacher, 
He's a good moral man. He's kind of like Mr. Rogers, just telling people to love each other. Those things are true, but they're incomplete. Jesus never said he's just a good teacher. Jesus never said he's just a good moral man. Jesus never said that he's Mr. Rogers telling us to love our neighbors. Jesus said, I am. Jesus declared himself as God. And when Jesus declared himself as the I am, the Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega, Jewish people heard that statement and said, he must be killed for blasphemy. And so they arrested him in the middle of the night. They beat him. They whipped him. And they nailed him onto a Roman cross. And God's wrath against the sin of humanity went on Jesus in that moment. And all of our sin, all of our issues, all of our storms, all of our problems, all of our shortcomings were on Jesus. And Jesus in his dying breath cried out, it is finished. Sin has been dealt with once and for all. He's taken down from the cross and he's put into another man's tomb. And three days later, he rises from the dead, showing that he is victorious over sin, that he is victorious over the forces of darkness in this world. And he teaches for another 40 days or so. Hundreds of people witness this. When people think the Christian faith was made up, you don't make up religion back then. Made up religions got you executed. Every disciple of Jesus was executed. They didn't do it for the money. They didn't do it for the women. They didn't do it for the power. (laughs) There was no money and women in power. They got killed for this because they witnessed the living Jesus. And Jesus returned to heaven. And just before he did that, he said, guys, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. Now go. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And be sure of this. I'm with you even to the end of the age. And he returned to God the Father. And he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, speaking to God the Father on your behalf. So that when God looks down, when God sees you, if you've put your faith in what Jesus has done, God doesn't see your sin. God sees his child. He sees you as a son and daughter. He sends you into storms. He's Lord over storms. He wants to bless other people through the storms that we're dealing with. We need to know him. We need to trust him and not just the head knowledge. We need to get it down to our heart and then we need to step up and take a step and go. Step out of our comfort zone. Try something new. Let God scare you. If God never scares you, your faith is too safe. Let him scare you a little bit. It will grow you because you'll become dependent on Jesus's lordship. The beauty of Jesus is, guess what? Sometimes he gets rid of the storm. And it's awesome when he does. But most of the time he doesn't. Most of the time what he does instead is completely 
and radically change us for his glory, for his joy, and for the blessing of the world around us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you. Lord Jesus, we praise you. Holy Spirit, we praise you. God, I'm grateful for the reminder today of who Jesus is, fully God and fully man, that he came, that he lived a sinless life, that he would die for my sin, that he would die for our sin. And we just have to simply believe that. We just come to you in faith and in repentance. Repentance means we just turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus. When we do that, we're made new. And as his followers, we trust him. We trust him in the storms of this life because he is Lord over all the storms. And we can trust him that Jesus wants to use these storms to bless other people. So, Father, I pray for all of us today here in this building and those watching online. I pray for the storms that that some of us are dealing with. And they're hard and they're scary. But, Lord, I pray that we would take heart that you have overcome the storm that you are Lord and we can trust you, that we can sleep at night knowing that Jesus has overcome. I pray, God, that you would give us that kind of rest. For anyone here or anyone watching who's just never taken that step to put their faith in Jesus, I just want you to know how much God loves you. And it's so easy to do if you feel led, if you feel something in your heart, that's God speaking to you. God loves you. And he wants you to be part of his family. Being religious, going to church, obeying the rules, that's not what makes you a child of God. But it's surrendering. It's turning from your sin and turning to Jesus. That's what makes you a child of God. And the Apostle Paul says, just believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead and confess that with your mouth and you'll be made new. And you could do that real simply just by praying a simple prayer that says, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Today I give you my life. Make me new. Bring me wherever you want to bring me for your joy, for my joy, and for the blessing of others.